All right, to the Bible. You can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 20. There is a spot in Matthew 20, not our passage, uh, but a few verses after our passage, where uh, the mother of James and John does something really ridiculous. She sort of, sort of sidles up to, to Jesus as they're walking along the road, and she asks for, uh, she asks Jesus, can you secure a place for each of my sons, one at your right hand and one at your left? Uh, which is such a weird question. It's a dumb question, but we do lots of dumb things, so we shouldn't feel too superior. But that's what she asks. And Jesus basically is very kind, and he says, no. Um, the mom had misunderstood the nature of what it is to follow Jesus. There's not some some desperate climbing the ladder thing to be Jesus's top lieutenants. That's not what following Jesus is about for them or for you or me. She And Jesus told an example. He said, um, greatness is about humility. You're, clearly, you want your sons to be great and important and what mother doesn't, and that's sweet. But humility is what greatness is about. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but give his life as a ransom for many. And what makes it even sadder is this happened right after he told our parable, which is about that exact thing. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. And this is a difficult parable. Some of them are hard. This, uh, some of them are easier. This one's hard. This is a parable about humility, about motivation, about why do you, if you're a Christian and you serve God, why do you do what you do? Is this a business deal? You wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't say it that way because that sounds rude and not very nice. But is this a business deal or is this a relationship with loving obligation? What is your, what is your um, relationship with God like? Why do you do what you do? Humility, motivation. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. But to get there, I'm going to have to back up and breeze through um, the rich man who came to Jesus asking him what he has to do to obtain eternal life. Because that discussion is what makes Jesus tell the parable. So we'll look at this and see what, why did Jesus tell this parable and what's he trying to say? What does he want us to do with this? Do you leave here today, you go do Mother's Day or text your mom or call your mom, or if your mom's here, you take your mom out somewhere. Um, what are you supposed to do with this today when you leave this building? What are you supposed to do with it? What's Jesus wants you to do with this parable? So hopefully um, the Lord will encourage you, convict you, convict me, convict us, and speak to us and give us something very specific that we can do to make this parable real and not just a funny story that floats in our mind and sort of fritters away throughout the week. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to hear your word. Help us to want to do it because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we start off, and we're going to start in Matthew 19, 16, um, and we'll breeze through this real quick. Um, there's something that happens that makes Jesus tell the parable, and this is what happens. You have a, a rich guy who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life? Jesus has an itinerant ministry. He wanders around everywhere, preaching in towns and villages, and so all sorts of random people come and speak to him all the time. And this is one of the random guys who comes to speak to him. 
And if you've read this, I'm not going to read every verse, but if you've read this passage, you'll know that Jesus says, um, well, you know, if you, uh, he tailors what he says to the guy he's talking to. So he says, well, if you want to know um, how, to, how to have eternal life, then you should keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, which ones? And Jesus says, well, you know, he lists a bunch of the commandments. He says, you know, you should, you should make sure you do these things. And Jesus is saying this on purpose because he's trying to get at what this guy's real issue is. And the guy says in Matthew 19, 20, well, I must be good because I've done all of these things. Everything is good. I am safe. What do I lack, he asks. And so now Jesus, because he set him up for this, now Jesus says, okay, now this is the real answer. He said in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, you want to have eternal life, you want all of this, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Because for this guy, that's what he worshipped. He worshipped his money. He did all these good things, but his real allegiance and loyalty is to his, his money. And if you're going to follow Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, you ha I, have to be the, the, I have to be the king in your life. Not money, not sex, not whatever it is. You can insert whatever, put a blank, and you can just put whatever it is in there. I have to be there, Jesus says. I have to be everything. I have to be the king of your life, not something else. For this guy, it's the money. And Jesus knows that, and he set him up so he could tell him this, and the guy is unhappy. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And that event sets up a question from Peter that prompts our parable. The guy doesn't want to leave his wealth. He has to choose. When Jesus puts the matter before him, I can be your king or that can be your king. Which one is it going to be? The guy says, well, I'll take, I'll take option B. And he leaves. And Jesus says... You know, it's, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not saying that if you're rich, you're a bad person, but it really corrupts you. It makes you want things. It digs its claws into you, and money becomes extremely important. There's plenty of rich people who've been Christians and then who give tons of their wealth away. I'm not saying rich people are bad people. Jesus is just saying, if you encounter Jesus while you're already rich, it's really hard to give up this lust and greed, this God, in favor of something else. And that's what this guy's problem is. And Peter asks in verse 27, you know, they'd heard Jesus say, you know, give up everything you have and then follow me. And then uh, you'll have treasure in heaven, which is more important than the treasure here on earth. So Peter asks this question. Peter always asks questions that everyone thinks, but no one wants to actually ask. Peter asked him, answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And they have left everything. I mean, they've left everything. Peter has left his wife, left his mother-in-law. He's left everything, left his wife at home. James and John have left business with their dad, a fishing business walked away from it. Matthew's left a really lucrative job as a tax collector, made a lot of money. Um, if you've watched the series, The Chosen, it tries to humanize these, these people, the real people from the Bible in a meaningful way so we can appreciate what it is that they've actually walked away from. But a lot of these guys, they've left a lot. I mean, they've been following Jesus around. They've given up their jobs and their homes, and they follow Jesus around being taught by him. 
And he's asking, you know, what, you know, you asked that guy to leave everything behind and he said, no, well, we've left everything behind. So what do we get? Well, what, what's in it for us? So this is one of those times where you wish you could hear his voice. Because there's two ways to say things, right? He could be saying, we've left everything to follow you. What, 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 what are we going to get? Or he could be saying, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And those are two completely different questions, even though they're the same words, because the tone and the, the feel you get from the way he says it. But we don't have a recording or YouTube video of Peter saying this. It was taken down uh, on YouTube and his appeal was denied. Uh, so we don't have it. So you have to decide when Peter asks this question, is he saying, so are we gonna get something out of this or not? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying something like, you know, um, that guy made the wrong choice, but I mean, we've, we've made the right choice, right? Which one is he, which way is he asking the question? And the parable will tell us, the, will give us the answer as to how, how Peter asked the question. So Jesus says to him in verse 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Which is great. That's great news. And then he deliberately answers Peter's question. He says, Every, verse 29, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, whatever it is you've left behind, if you've left stuff behind, you've, you've decided to set that thing aside and make me the king of your life, you'll receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus is telling Peter, you have left everything behind and it will be worth it. It will, but that's not what he's really going to focus on. But I do want to say this. If you choose to love Jesus more than anything else in the world, then it's always going to be worth it. You know, Jesus as a person, you know, Jesus is a divine person, but in the incarnation, he took on a human nature as well and added it to his divine nature. So he's this one of a kind hybrid sort of, uh, sort of person where he's a divine person, He's a, a divine person with a human nature and a divine nature sort of there in parallel with one another. So he's a real flesh and blood person like you and me with fear, doubt. He needs to pray, all the things that we're supposed to do. And I, we can't forget that Jesus personally knows what it's like to have to choose between family and God as a person. Like he knows what that's like. Have you read Mark chapter 3 where his, his parents, his mom and his brothers come to haul him away from preaching to crowds because they think he's gone crazy? And Jesus has to, you know, we laugh because he's like, these people are my, 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 my brothers and sisters, not you. And we laugh because we think, oh, you know, his mom, I don't know what her problem is. She has to know who he is. But as a person... Do you think it was easy for Jesus to make, to come to the point where he had to say, um, God, what God has, has me to do is more important, mom, than you? Think about what that means. He knows what it's like, personally knows what it's like to choose God, if necessary, over family, if those two are driving you to go completely different directions. 
Jesus knows what it's like to have to choose God over something else. He knows what it's like. So he tells Peter, yeah, if you, if you have, if you've left everything to follow me, you're going to, you get a hundred times more. It will be worth it. That guy said no. The rich young guy said no. Uh, but you've made the right choice and it, it will be worth it. But in verse 30, he sets up the parable because something Peter said makes him think that he has to say what he's going to say. So he says this, one of his cryptic sayings in verse 30, but even though I said that, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So this is the statement that our parable is going to talk about. But what does Jesus mean? On one level, we can, without a lot of effort, we can say, well, the people who are first, who we assume are religious and great and wonderful, great Christian people, they'll actually end up being last. So there's a lot of Jesus looks beyond the outward show. So we can sort of get that. And then many who are last will be first. So we can say, well, you know, maybe people who um, aren't very impressive or are boring or aren't just boring Christians, not super charismatic, wonderful Christians who are famous and just ordinary, boring people like you and me. Um, you know, those people who are assumed to just be okay, whatever, bland, generic Christian, some of those people are actually the most faithful and God-loving and... and um, Pray more than ever, people. A I mean, hundred million times more than the rich and famous people who everyone assumes are so religious. So within God's family, there's going to be this flipping and inversion. So we can read it and sort of get that. But this goes along with this chain of events. Um, so why did Jesus say this? You have this rich guy who walks away because he's not willing to give up worshiping money for worshiping Jesus. Peter is upset and he wants to know you know of, of uh what, what are we going to get we actually have left everything what are we going to get and so jesus says yes it's all going to be worth it in the end but there's going to be this great flipping and inversion of reality that happens in the end and then he says basically he says let me explain what i'm talking about and now we have matthew 20 uh, verses 1 to 16, which is pretty simple and it won't take long to go through. He's going to explain what he means. And you know that's what the parable is about because what the, what's the word that verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 starts with? What's the word? For or therefore or whatever your Bible version has. He's explaining what he just said. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So the kingdom, like the end, when everything's fixed, the kingdom, this is what it's going to be like this. And so he goes on to explain this last will be first, first will be last comment. So a guy goes out, he's going to hire people to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So like a day's wage. So this is probably like six, you know, sun is rising. It's not 90 degrees yet. It's wonderful. Um, verse 3, at about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you go out and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. 
And he went out again at about noon and, and about three in the afternoon. So every three hours, he just wanders off to the, to the marketplace and he finds random people who don't look like they're busy and he hires them and sends them away to go do stuff. And then finally, about five in the afternoon, five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go and work in my vineyard. And so when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And so they're all lined up. And this great conundrum is what Jesus wants to focus on. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, which makes sense. Those who were hired last, um, uh, oh, but each one of them also received a denarius. So the guys who worked 12 hours, the guy who worked one hour, they received the same amount of money, which doesn't seem very fair. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They're unhappy. They're upset. It's not right. It's not fair. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So it does seem unfair. But that's why I called, I should have, it was on the screen, but I didn't mention it. I, I call this the parable of the strange boss. My heading in my Bible says it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but that's not correct. It's not about the workers. It's about the weird boss who pays these same amount to everyone, whether they work one hour or 12. Um, and so they're upset. And this, this, this frustration is what, how Jesus uses, what Jesus uses to explain his statement to Peter. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And so we wonder, what on earth is he even saying here? What's the point of this? Jesus tells the parable because of Peter's question. Peter asked, uh, pff, we've left everything. What are, what are we going to get out of this thing? Sort of thing. And you can, like I mentioned, you can see him saying it in both ways. I'm not saying Peter said it in a mean way. I think he asked an honest question. But I think that Jesus saw a hint of something that he wanted to make sure that everyone, even us today in 2023, knows is not a good thing. He saw a hint of it sort of lurking there. And he wants to say, yeah, you, you'll, it'll be worth it, but listen to this. Here's, let's put the brakes on this what-do-I-get thing and think about this. What he's saying is that, what do, you, what do you get out of this? Whoever you are, whoever you are, let me, let me just skip ahead to this. Everyone is, all believers are equal to God. Everyone, whether you came to faith when you're 80 years old, and you were a Christian for X number of years, or whether you came to faith when you were seven years old and you were a missionary for 30 years to penguins and Antarctica and brave snowstorms and frostbite, you had a limb amputated because you were ministering to the penguins when the ice storm came. I mean, whether you're that guy 
or the person who becomes a Christian when they're 80 years old. All Christians are equal in God's eyes. All Christians are equal in God's eyes. You're not more special than anyone else. Whether you work 12 hours, uh, whether Jesus just came and said, what have you been doing all day? And he's like, well, no one hired me. He's like, well, go to work. I'll hire you, go work. And you would think, well, the guy with the frostbite in Antarctica who's ministering to the penguins, he gets, should get a lot. And this other guy, sort of a sketchy weirdo, came at the last minute. Um, you know, yeah, I guess you're a Christian, but you know, you can sit, like you can, you can be over there, like in the, in the corner, way over there where not many people can see you. And Jesus is saying, no, whoever you, if you're a Christian, whether you're the Antarctica guy or the guy who came late, uh, everyone's, all Christians are equal in God's eyes, which isn't what we expect. We expect to be compensated based on what we've done, but if that were true, then we'd all just be going to hell anyway. And so God says, Jesus says, uh, I have the right to do with my money what, what, what I want. I, and I want to give the people who were hired late the same as I give you. I can do what I want. It's my, it's my job site. Because God's grace isn't based on merit. It's not based on merit. There's no degrees of, of, of reward with God where you get, um, you get a BMW and then you get a tricycle. Like there's, there's, none of, there's none of that going on. We'll each have very individual experiences before the judgment seat as believers from 1 Corinthians 3. But when we enter God's presence and spend eternity with him, it's not as though it's not as though um, one of you is living in a shack in the woods outside Tonino and the other person's living in Bellevue. Like that's not what that's not the way this is going to work. And God wants Peter to really get that. Not that Peter had that attitude when he said, "What do we get because we've left everyone?" But someone, it's like it's there, and. Jesus wants to make sure that no one actually thinks that serving God is a, is a, I'm going to do this so I can get the nice house in Bellevue instead of the double wide um, in the woods somewhere. God wants to be very sure that Peter isn't thinking like that and that we don't think like that. That we don't think like that. So there's two, these two things. One is uh, all believers are equal to God. And the second is God shows, um, God shows people who come late, who join late, that they, have, they get just as much grace and love as the people who work the 12 hours. These two things correspond to two different kinds of people. If you're a person who's given to pride and arrogance, you need to be told that you are not special in God's family. God is not there. How many of you guys remember in middle school when you had to line up and they picked team captains and they picked people to be on the team? They picked people to be on the teams and you were and you know all the popular people always got picked and then I was always one of those one of those guys just standing there like the last one picked because nobody wanted me on their team. I don't know why I'm such an athletic guy. Why didn't they see that in me when I was in middle school? God is not like the the guy who says, "Oh, I need him. I need Tyler because without him, everything falls apart." Um, you are not special in God's eyes as an indispensable, if I don't get Bill, then it's over for me and my kingdom, and, and etc. Prideful people need to be reminded that 
God gives the same grace to all of his children. No matter what their gifts are or are not, or when they arrive to the family. So the first one is more a rebuke toward people who are given toward pride. The second one with this parable of the everyone getting paid just as much. I can do with my money what I want. I want to give everyone the same. Don't be envious. The second one is more for the opposite kind of person who tends to not think very much of yourself, who is always down on yourself. I'm not good at anything. I'm not special. Uh, I can't do anything really well. I'm a boring person. Um, I can't be used in any meaningful way. I'm never going to be the guy with Antarctica talking to the, ministering to the penguins or the Eskimos. You know, that's never going to be me. I lead a boring life. You know, I have a high school education. I'm not a brilliant person. I'm just a normal, boring person, and I'm nobody special. God once, or I became a Christian after doing this or doing that. I became a Christian when I was 50 years old, and I did a lot of bad things. I'm not as good as the person who was you know, converted at VBS when she was 12 and has done a million things on earth. Um, and God wants to say for number two to that sort of person, you are just as special as the person in Antarctica. All of God's children have equal value in his eyes. You're not going to get paid less, paid less, because you came late or because you did this before you were a Christian, or because you're not, quote, gifted, or whatever lies that you've believed about yourself for so long. This parable tells us all of God's children are equal. Whether you showed up early in the marketplace ready to work at 0600, or whether, who knows what you were doing, but at 1700 you finally wandered in and said, well, I'm here. It doesn't matter to God. What matters is that you you what matters is that you get into the vineyard and start working. And he doesn't look at you differently. He doesn't think of you differently. There's not an asterisk next to your name in the book of life. I want to give to the one who is hired last the same as I gave to you. The same as I gave to you. What should you do? I'll skip ahead for this. What should you do with this? I don't know, I don't know which of those people you are because I don't know your innermost thoughts. Um, but I think one thing you could do is to ask yourself, why do I do what I do for God? Um, am I trying to gain something or am I just doing it because I love God? To ask yourself that question. Um, do I think that I'm a special person who's indispensable to God or do I really, or do I need to bring myself down one or two or 20 pegs and realize that I am just a sinner saved by grace. So I can't tell you this is what you should do, but I think you should, what you should do is you should think about what the parable means and then think about your life. Are you a prideful person or are you a person who's down on yourself all the time and thinks you're not special and meaningless or whatever it is that, whatever lies that you've believed about yourself that people have told you or implied about you. Whichever one of those two people you happen to be, this parable is either a gentle or not so gentle rebuke to you or an encouragement to you that you are special. You are valued by God. Even though you aren't ministering to Eskimos and getting frostbite, you are valued by God just as much, just as much as the Antarctica person is. You are valued, you are special, and 
God's going to give you the same reward as everyone else. Humility, service, value. These things are what the parable is getting at. And that's what Jesus wants us to walk away with as we think about our lives and our relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Please work on our heart. Convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. For those of us who are inclined toward pride, help us to take this rebuke from Jesus in a spirit of love and concern and help us to realize that the world really will keep on spinning without us and that we are just sinners saved by grace and we are not um, we're not people who are doing and serving in order to gain a bigger mansion in the sky than the person next to us. And if we're the person who's down on ourselves and doesn't think much of ourselves, who thinks we're not valued, help us to remember you love us, you see us, you care about us, and you do value us. If, even if we don't have the 800 gifts that this rare one person might happen to have, we do have gifts. We do have a contribution to make. And we are made by you and we are special. And help us never to feel that we're worth less than another Christian because of who we are or how we came to faith or when. Whether we came to faith at 8 o'clock in the morning or at 5 in the evening. Help us to remember that and comfort us and rebuke us as necessary according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.